Refocus. Um, I know some of you, uh, can I just, can you raise your hand if you had more than five English translations? Okay, raise your hand if you have more than ten. Okay, between, okay, over seven. Okay, you guys are welcome to come for prayer. We'll, we'll cast the pride out of you later. Um, but, okay, why is that important? Because we've got a, a, a young lady, Helen, from Wycliffe Bible Translators, who's going to be coming to speak to us in just a moment, okay? But when I spoke to her on Zoom last week, just in preparation for this moment, um, I, I realized, um, actually, how blessed, how, how lucky, how privileged I am to be able to just pick the Bible up in my heart language. And um, when I started talking about some of the work that Wycliffe are doing, I, I realized that not everybody is able to do that. And uh, I don't want to uh, steal uh, all the stuff that she's going to say. But then um, coming to the conference, and I hope you've been having a great time. I've been having a great time. I just was thinking back to a couple of moments, but in particular, the talk that we had uh, on Monday in the morning session. And uh, I started thinking about the Ethiopian eunuch uh, being able to read the scroll of Isaiah. Um, and then someone coming and explaining it to him. I also learned that uh, Africans were translating the scripture over 2,000 years ago. I didn't know that. And we also heard uh, this prophetic cry. There was this picture of this bow and arrow pointing up into Africa, and we heard that Africa needs uh, to see a Savior that represents all peoples, tribes, and languages, and that we have that mandate. And so don't you want to just uh, give Helen a massive round of applause and some encouragement as she comes up to speak to us? Okay, we're going to get you. Hello. Just on the topic of the question you were talking about, in circulation at the moment, there are actually 200 English Bibles. And in the whole history of the English Bible, there have been 900 different versions, which is crazy. Okay, so you, you, sh you show me up now, because I, <laughs> I didn't do that much research. But um, Helen, I know you've got a bit of a presentation to show us and stuff like that. And then actually, we're going to uh, pray for the work of Wycliffe and for Bible distribution. That's kind of where we're going to land in a little bit. Um, but just first, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I, I detected a bit of a British accent there, am I right? Um, tell us briefly who you are, what you do. Yeah, so who I am, I'm Helen, originally from the UK. My dad is English, but my mom is actually Afrikaans, so I've grown up visiting. <laughs> and I've just married an Afrikaans guy, so I'm embracing Afrikaans. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'm learning, I'm learning. Um, but basically, I grew up in the UK. I was, God called me into mission when I was about 15. Um, and then he took me on this long journey of about 12 years where he taught me all sorts of things, lots of challenges, waiting. Um, until eventually, 2019, he brought me to South Africa to work with Wycliffe South Africa. Um, and there he started like revealing his plans and fulfilling all his promises for me. Um, but in the meantime, I did training in, uh, what did I train in? Theology, missiology, a bit of linguistics, a bit of oral people groups. But I focused mostly on scripture engagement, how different 
cultures around the world praise God and the use of arts in Bible translation and as we use the Bible. So the vision that God gave me is for freedom and for justice. So I, want, I long to see people free to be who they are, to worship him as they are, the way that God made them to be. And that links into Bible translation because all over the world there are millions of people who are in, feel inferior. They're taught that they're inferior, that their language isn't proper, that it's not like this amazing other language, that it's not valid. And so their whole culture, their identity, which is really linked to that, is also not valid. So they think it doesn't bring God joy when they speak and sing and dance the way they normally live. Many people don't even think or believe that God can speak their language. Their language isn't holy enough, it's not good enough. Why would God put the effort in to knowing my language? But of course, we know that's not true. Uh, in Revelation, the end of the Bible, it says, all nations and tongues will be worshipping together in their own language and their own style. And it says, in the beginning with Abraham, God promised to bless him to make him a blessing. And that's true of all people. And so when the Bible is translated into someone's language, it, first of all, it recognizes them, but it also validates their language as good. It also tells them that God speaks their language, that the way they live, the way they speak was created by God and can be used for God. It also um, brings freedom for people to speak to God using their language to be themselves with God, to explore their culture and their community through the lens of God with all the different challenges that brings. And then it also means they can access God in the scriptures that they actually understand. And then more than that, when a community translates the Bible, um, it brings so much transformation, which I've seen firsthand, and I have some stories for you later. Um, but it also grows the church. It develops faith. It leads to mission with things like church planting, evangelism, discipleship, social justice, all comes out of having the Bible in your own language and culture. And we know that's what God wanted, like with Pentecost, when he made it possible for everyone to hear the gospel in their own language. So that's why I got involved with Wycliffe. So, wow, that's, that's an amazing answer, hey? Uh, yeah. Before you go on, I have a question for a few of you. Um, what languages are represented here? Just shout out some of them. I know there's Afrikaans. Swahili, Afrikaans. Shona. Lots of different ones. Okay, put your hand up if you don't have access to a Bible in the language that you're most comfortable in or that you grew up with. No one. Um, do you have access to a Bible in the language that you grew up in or that you're most comfortable in? Yeah, everyone. Well, around the world, just a few stats for you, 1.45 billion people don't have access to a full Bible in their language. Jeez. In Africa alone, there are still 14 million people asking for Bible translation to start. Even in South Africa, there are more than 11 official languages. There are 45 languages, roughly, and over half of them don't have the Bible. So I have a map, if you can pop that up. We partner as Wycliffe with 20 different language groups across Southern Africa. 
some of them in South Africa, as you can see. Um, we partner with the communities. Um, I get asked, asked a lot, what language are you translating the Bible into? But I don't do it. We partner with the communities. It is the locals who translate. It is their Bible. It is their translation. They are the host. We are the guest. And so we come in alongside the community. We train. We support whatever's needed. And we prayerfully start this journey of Bible translation with them so that they can have the Bible creatively and authentically and effectively. And then just the other thing quickly to mention, <laughs> Africa's really oral. Who here comes from an oral culture background? A few of you. Yeah. Actually, about 80% of the world is returning back to preferring oral communication. But for a lot of African communities, they are intrinsically oral. It's more than just how they communicate. It's their worldview, how they relate to other people. It's really deep. And so when we chat to these communities and these churches about translation, they often choose oral Bible translation, which is a completely oral process from internalizing and studying to translating and checking to recording and then distributing. So this is actually a Bible. This is an audio device. It's got the Bible in Timbukushu, which is from the Hambukushu people in Botswana and Namibia. And it's solar paneled, so you don't need electricity. And as soon as scripture is translated, it gets loaded on here and it gets distributed. And at the moment, because of budgets, it's about one per church, but we're obviously aiming for more. Um, at the moment, this one's got Genesis and some other scriptures. And then people start using it and the translation team keep translating. So that's what we do. So, so it's, it's really good. You, you've actually answered most of my questions already. Um, so you, I don't know if you're making my job easier or harder tonight, but um, you know, one, one thing is clear is like we can hear the need and we can also hear your passion for it as well. And I actually think that's a passion that everyone sat in this room shares because we have a love for the word of God, right? Um, but one of the questions I had was, uh, okay, and this doesn't leave this room, but, but many years ago before I was married, I had a French girlfriend. <laughs> Guys, BC days is grace, okay? Um, now, uh, she used to write me love letters because she was French. And uh, um, I used to write her love letters, but the problem was I was failing French, okay? Um, but uh, uh, I use this translation program. So one of the questions that I, I, I had is, how come you just can't use Google Translate? What's the, what's the story? <laughs> cool. So first I'm going to own up. I work for a translation organization, but I only speak English. So I oh appreciate Google Translate. <laughs> it's really helpful. Uh, we use it a lot when we communicate with people in Mozambique and Angola because they'll email us in Portuguese, and we use Google Translate, which is really helpful. But... Bible translation is more than just translating the words. Um, it's this really thorough process. It starts with the context and the meaning and the message from the Hebrew and the Greek, and it ends up with a meaning and a message that now fits into the context of this new, completely different language and culture. And so just a bit of a story to demonstrate it. I took um, a team from House of the Lord Church in Benoni, um, a few, a couple months ago, to the Sepulana translation, because they've adopted the language, which I will tell you more about later. Um, and I got to take a few of them. It's in Mpumalanga in South Africa. And I got to take a few of them on the Friday. And they had similar questions. They're like, why can't we just copy and paste or use Google Translate? And they got to sit in on a session. And it was with the exegete, the consultant, the translators, and they were looking at Luke 2. 
And so they were discussing the story of Jesus and the paralyzed man, you know, where they carry him in on the mat and lower him through the roof. And we got to the word for mat, <laughs> just mat. In English, mat means a piece of material on the ground that you sort of clean your feet on. That's not what it means in this context. But from church history and growing up with the story, we know when we read the word mat in English that it means something different in that setting. What it actually refers to is something more like a mattress in English. But that has problems because it's really heavy. You can't carry it. You can't lower it through a building, through the roof. Um, some translations use stretcher. Again, maneuverability is a bit of an issue. But what's being referred to in the story is actually more of like a really thick, woven material that people rested on and slept on. This paralyzed man would have lived on it, and people carried him around on it. And so in English, we don't have a word for that. And the, the Mapulana, they don't have anything like that either. So they don't have a word for it either. So they did a lot of discussion, and they discovered that the closest thing was like a straw mat, which you may have seen people put on the ground. It's in the houses. People rest and chill on there. It's quite easy to carry people on it. And so they used that word. So now when people read this or listen to this story, when they hear the word mat or the sepulana word, it makes sense. It just fits. It flows. There's no confusion. There's no complications. Okay. And that's just good. for the word mat. Good. It's, I actually find it slightly encouraging that it's things that ChatGTP can't do yet. So... Uh, <laughs> No, okay, so I'm just conscious of our time. We, we're plowing through things here, and we, and we want to honor the guys that are coming after us. Um, but uh, we would just love to hear a really short testimony, maybe about the work. Mm. And uh, then also we need to know how can we get involved. Sure. So a testimony. I want to tell you a bit about the CARPS people group. Does anyone know who they are or have heard of them? A couple people. CARPS. They're in Cape Town. They are, um, most people would describe it as a, someone speaking Afrikaans badly or slang or prison language. But it's actually a valid and really structured language. People do PhDs on this language. It's amazing language and it predates Afrikaans. So um, I've got some quotes just quickly. We've defined it as the Carps are an urban people group found in many suburbs of the Cape Flats with a rich and colorful language and culture. They're known for their verbal art and music, and any interaction you have with them will leave a smile on your face. Recently, there has been a surge in the Carp's identity, being recognized and respected. So they were descendants from slaves, and they've been oppressed and labeled as outcasts, and people are very ashamed to own up. A lot of people are to being Carp's. Um, but we have been working with the churches. We're planning to translate the Bible into the whole of the New Testament. Um, there's a lot of issues with that, with all the different dialects, like the Boer Carp's, which is unintelligible to Afrikaans and there's a lot of other issues in there but we for the past year we've been translating the Psalms poetically and musically um, so we take um, artist translators from the community and we go through a psalm really creatively and we end up with an oral and a transcribed psalm and then they do a dramatic reading and they do a performance a music performance based on the scripture and a music of the whole psalm itself. And so I just have a couple clips so you can get a feel for what it's like. They're an amazing group.
It's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> so um, they, we started translating last September. If you can go on to the next slide. Um, I've got some quotes from some people. So um, we knew we had a language that belonged to the people on the streets, but had no idea of its authenticity and uniqueness in our country and among our people. It is spoken of and should be recognized as such. We fell in love with our sound again. We felt validated. And translating scripture into carps makes it so much more relatable and understandable. Um, and then in March, which was only about six months later, they did a production called Alive in Carps, um, where they had some interviews about the carps language. But then they did this amazing production where they took us on a journey with the Psalms. Uh, one of our articles said, we cried, we laughed, we were challenged. There was drama, comedy, dramatic readings, costumes, dancing, and lots of music. Everyone was captured and fully immersed in what was happening. At several times, people were on their feet, singing and dancing along with the team. They couldn't resist. And then I've got a few more quotes. If you go back one. Yeah, so these are from the audience. People saying, I am alive in carps. I respect my language so much more. And God is at work. This is bigger than all of us. Um, we're watching history in the making. I have a renewed sense of pride in who I am and who God made me. And that was just six months after translation started. Now, they've released that first song, Psalm 124, they've released it as a single. It was played on CCFM and then named number one of the week. It's now been number one for four weeks running. It's been played on 22 different radio stations and they're having all sorts of invitations to go and do this production in other places. And wow. yeah, it's amazing. That's good. And I will be with them in about a week and a half because we have our next translation workshop. So yeah. be praying for that. So I think one of my reflections on, on this conference and conferences in general actually is I've, it's so easy just to remain in your silos. You know, you're so focused and there's a, there's a good thing about that, right, in terms of what God's called us to do in our context, right? But one of the things that I'm grateful for for conferences like this is you, you hear what God is doing all over globally. And uh, man, that glorifies God, right? It glorifies Him, but you also it humbles you. You know, you realize, actually, wow, God is on the move. And, and, and also it stirs hope. And so we, wanted to, we want to ask, you know, uh, we, we hear some of the amazing work that Wycliffe is doing, and we represent uh, lots of different people in our churches who aren't here. But, but how, how can we get involved? Can you make it simple for us? I know Wycliffe are doing loads of stuff, but can you just maybe give us two uh, short points, and then, then we're going to pray. Yeah. So I head up Wycliffe Links, and I'm going to leave my card and some other stuff out there, and my role is to support the South African church as you get involved. So there's two things I want to tell you about. If you can go on to, yes, singing the Psalms. So this is the first ever, and it's going to be at God First Four Ways, 7th of October. We're inviting all worship teams and musicians to come. It's a workshop based on translating the Psalms, where you'll creatively internalize and study the Psalms and spend time in God's Word, experiencing it, and then creating worship that's relevant for your congregation, based and full of Scripture. So you're all invited. Please scan the QR code and let me know who is in your worship teams. Uh, we want to invite people personally, so give me all the details or just send me an email. The next one is adopt a language. So I mentioned this before. This is basically partnering and praying for a language, but bumped up to the next level. It is going on the journey with the people group. 
you mourn with them, you celebrate with them, you persevere with them as they translate the Bible. It includes visiting the language, hosting them when they come to visit you, like communicating with them, sending gifts, however God leads you. It's your partnership and your relationship with the language group. And so we have so many languages. We have this leaflet that I'll leave outside, which talks about all the language groups we work with across South Af Southern Africa, and you are invited to partner with them. We want you to be involved. So please scan this and let me know that you're interested, and then we'll be able to start talking about which language group you want to partner with. So yeah, go on to the next slide. The Both of the QR codes are there. Adopt a language and sing in the Psalms. Please get involved. Do you have any prayer points specifically? You do. Okay, Helen's got some prayer points on a slide. So I think the simplest thing to do is we're just going to uh, pray uh, together in groups of two, three, four. So maybe you want to stand up and just kind of get into a small group. And uh, these are the prayer points. Um, we're just going to pray for uh, about three minutes. You don't have to pray. You don't have to get finished. But I think within the room, we'll, we'll cover everything. Let's pray.
So, Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your precious word. We want to thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that you, you're a God who's got a kingdom that is big. And, Lord, thank you that you're doing all kinds of things. And, God, we thank you that uh, still today, God, you're giving people the Scripture in their, in their heart language, Lord. We thank you for the work of Wycliffe. God, we ask that you would bless them, Lord. We pray that you would bless Helen in her, in her role, Lord. And, uh, yeah, Jesus, we, we pray that you would never take your Scripture for granted. Lord, we pray that you, we would keep it close to our hearts, Lord. And, God, we thank you for those that have gone before us who, who gave their lives, Lord, who, or who gave at great cost and so that we could have the Bible. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. So, Helen, before we give you, before we give you a round of applause, any final words? So I've been asked to share just a quick testimony about one of the language groups. You can sit down. One of the churches here, they support the CD cluster. So it's called that because it's dangerous to advertise the name of the language group because it's highly Islamic area. Um, you'll see one of the points. Some of the language groups are in politically dangerous areas and risk their lives to translate the Bible. They have to travel quite far to a safe place to translate. And in the CD cluster, they're aren't really any churches, many churches or Christians, so it's Muslims who are translating the Bible. And our first workshop with them, they were all sitting around, they were just learning about how to translate the Bible. Two of the Muslims gave their life to Christ and were baptized just from learning about Bible translation, which was amazing. And we see transformation in the translators. They experience the Bible on such a deep level. So please be praying for them as yeah, they risk their lives for God. Okay. Well, it's awesome. Give her another round of applause, please. <laughs> so uh, Helen is joining us uh, for dinner. And uh, as you can see, she's got lots of energy. She's young. She would appreciate lots and lots of questions from you. Um, uh, so, uh, yes, well done, hey, excellent. And then, uh, Greg, I believe you're coming up to speak to us about church planting. Thank you. I now know why these two slots were saved for now, because it was the graveyard shift, but now you guys are all pumped. <laughs> hey? What a great session. Thank you, Helen. Um, so we're getting to talk about church planting, and, and really, there's two things that we do as advance right? Other than glorify God and all the big picture stuff. But on the ground, we do two things. Anyone remember? We plant, strengthen. Okay, so I hope you are feeling really strong. I've found this to be incredibly strengthening these few days. I've been in great workshops. We've been in great sessions. We've been worshiping Jesus. And this is a strengthening moment. But we're also about planting churches, right? Um, and I was one of the very first ACPC students. And on ACPC, we learned that when you plant new churches, you see new people reached more effectively than if you just stay where you are. And we've experienced that in our church. So we've recently planted a, a new congregation, a new church. And Bob's your uncle. They're baptizing more people there than they are with us. They're baptizing more people there than there are in our other congregation in Bromfontein. And so what is on the can is what is in the can. It works. So what we're going to do now is we are inviting a couple of guys who have planted in the last two years. 
So this is post-COVID, uh, three new churches, and what we what Stella's going to do is he's going to host them, and then we're going to talk, I'm going to host a section looking at the future. Evening, everyone. Great. So I'm going to tell you something first before I call them up, right? So uh, in the last week, uh, I and a couple of guys uh, went to a Simeon Trust uh, uh, workshop thing. Uh, and so as I was entering into the building, uh, I saw a huddle, like small huddle labs of guys, and it was at the center of them was this, you know those gas heaters that are meant to be outside? And all I saw is like a few guys around this gas heater with their hands raised up. And as I entered, I was like, did these guys stop worship without me? I was just so puzzled as to what's going on. Uh, little did I know that these guys were huddling around, you know, the heat. And for some reason, that came to mind as I was thinking about church planting, to think it's actually a few guys who often go into this thing, uh, and they're trying to actually come closer to something that's something of fire, of heat, uh, to the cold that exists out there. But little did they know that actually they're entering into a very fiery place, right? Uh, church planting is not easy. And so I'm going to call these three guys uh, to come share with us about the, uh, the heat that they have faced uh, in, the, in the face of, of church planting. And they're also going to share a few joys that they've, uh, they've gone through in the last while. So uh, if Rob, Tom, uh, and Simon could just come up and share their story with us. Guys, where you at? Come on up. Cool. So, Rob, you can start us since you've got the conj as it is. Yeah, thanks. Tell us, bro. And we, we, we I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't use that analogy for nothing. So, tell us, what fiery experiences have you had in the last while? Um, yeah, I think all, I mean, it's church planting, right? So, all the normal structural stuff. Where's the venue? Where are we going to do this? Uh, who's going to do it with us? Uh, and, then, and then you start doing it, and then you just met with, like, broken people that you're trying to help find. It's all that stuff. Um, I think the most significant struggle for me uh, has been me. Uh, has, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Andrew, Andrew is where I planted out of, and so that's why he can affirm that. Um, I, I think in planting, uh, I've constantly been confronted with my own wounds, hurts, brokenness, my own pride, arrogance, um, my inability, incompetencies, uh, and, and every week coming to the gospel, coming to, to Jesus, and then having to go and feed someone that, re realizing, yes, Lord, you've got so much more still to do right here. Um, and that's been incredibly humbling. And I think without the journey and, and the exposure uh, to that, I, I don't think I would have had that. And so, it's been incredibly challenging. Um, I think the pressure of church planting uh, on, on my ability to lead uh, myself, my family, my wife, my children uh, has really been uh, exposed and there's been no place to hide. Um, and at times has left me just lying on the floor crying, God, I need you. I, like I have nothing to give these people. I need you. Um, and beautifully shows up. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know how that has. So people come say, you really touched my heart. I'm like, that's amazing. I don't know how. <laughs> I'm trying to find grace for myself. I don't know how I've been able to give it to you. Um, but I think that's been the biggest struggle uh, for me, the biggest challenge. Yeah. 
So it's, it's not just faith under fire because you're trying to take ground for God, but yeah. it's also the fact that you are being refined by the very fire amen. as well. Yeah, amen. So that's, that's sweet. So you want to share uh, one joy or two joys that you've had in the last while as well? Uh, yeah, let me, I, I can share many. Um, I can that's share why I said one or two. I, I, can, I can share many. <laughs> just, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, guys, we, the favor of God upon us as a congregation has been astounding. Um, I, know, I know guys who have struggled with venues, uh, and we were given an amazing church uh, just on a silver platter. Um, I'll, I'll share a little bit of the story. We, we, we saw a building that seemed, a church building that seemed empty um, through COVID. No one was meeting there, um, and we emailed them. They said, no, we're not interested, and they came back and said, we are interested, and then we sent them a proposal. They said, that sounds great. Uh, then they went to the municipality. The municipality said, no, you can't rent that building out. You will uh, lose your tax exemption, which was like 45 grand a month, um, and so prophetically, we just felt God say, ask them to give it to you. Uh, so we went and sat in front of them and said, you know, with absolute humility, uh, guys, would you give us the space? And they started to laugh. It was so great. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, a, a, a beautiful group of older men, mature in their faith, uh, just started to laugh and said, we felt God say, just give it to them. And um, yeah, amazing. And um, and, uh, and David, David uh, who's the other elder with me, will testify to this. They, we just had like another 10 to 15 minutes of meeting where we just worshipped. And these older men maturing their faith just said, like, just fill that place with worship. Like, that's our one charge to you, fill that place with worship. And so, uh, and so we have, uh, I believe we have, um, it's been a, a wonderful blessing. We've got major challenges in it is that it's probably uh, uh, properly uh, derelict and, and needs lots of renovation. We've poured some money in there. We need loads more if you're... Uh, someone preached about being generous as churches. We, we receive, receive that. Um, but, but, I mean, that's just one example of God's faith. I think, uh, or God's favor upon us. I think one of the other things that we've seen is just the, the value and quality of team. Um, I think, uh, if I could just honor Dave and Sherry. Guys, why don't you just stand up uh, for a moment? I'm going to, yeah. Um, um, David... David and Sherry are the other eldership couple that um, planted with us, um, and they've been an absolute strength. David is an incredible uh, implementer. He's, uh, he's, he's a little bit older, just a little bit older than me, um, and, and, but he's just a, a man of like calm wisdom. Uh, and so whenever you're like kind of grappling, he's just a voice of reason and calmness, and it's been such a gift. Sherry... Um, Sherry is just the most beautiful uh, woman uh, around. She, uh, I don't mean externally, she's beautiful. Sometimes people get my wife and her confused. Um, this guy one Sunday morning did that as well. So sat next to her and said, love, what do you think about something? And she said, I don't know, love. What do you think? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's awkward. Um, I'm quite a tactile person, so fortunately it wasn't like him. But nonetheless, um, Sherry has been... Uh, She's just stood in front of my wife at times and, and been an older sister that she pines for and such a blessing. So I just commend you guys and thank you. Um, but we've seen team. Yeah. Come on, that's, I've that's, got, I've that's got more, great. Bro. That's great. Okay. Thanks for giving yeah. us those. And Have we're baptizing a whole lot of people next weekend or the weekend after. Share that. So Come yeah, on. Yeah, stuff's happening. That's awesome. 
uh, before you hand it over, just tell us where where did you plant? Just to give some oh. people context here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Boxburg. Yeah. So Boxburg. Where yeah. is it in the map? Um, we're in we're in Gauteng, just east. Just is it east? Yeah, east, east of Johannesburg. Yeah. Um, there's no coastline. There's no mountain. Wild waters. So <laughs> no one brags about wild waters. That's why you're so lost. Yeah. Pass it on to Tom. Wow. Tom, please also tell us where you are, where you planted, and then give us your joy. Uh, give us first your, your fire, right? Yeah. And then your heat. Bye-bye. Cool. Well, I uh, planted, actually planted with uh, Selo and his wife Khale uh, back in 2021, and we planted into the heart of Durban, one of the central suburbs, which is called Morningside. And uh, yeah, we, I, I'm going to categorize some of the heats probably into three different things. Uh, first one is uh, our city's brokenness. And uh, Tebs, wherever he is, he, he asked me earlier today, uh, how's, how, how's it living in your city? And uh, before I could even answer, Greg Cassim was behind me and he just started laughing. <laughs> I was like, that, that, that actually sums up, that's the perfect answer. I can't give a better answer. It's, uh, so as well as the kind of global pandemic, I was trying to figure out how we plant in the midst of that. Uh, we had the, the looting and the civil unrest. Uh, actually, the, the month that we moved house, uh, we, we had that. And so we had to scrounge around for bread and milk. And you remember those days? And uh, then there was a flood. Uh, and then there was a second flood. And uh, on top of that, the, the youthfulness of our uh, city means that uh, although across the country we struggle with unemployment and youth unemployment, the youthfulness of my city means that that has skyrocketed above the average as well. And so just the, just the brokenness of the city makes it a very transient city and it makes it very hard to kind of build with people who are constantly looking for jobs and are desperate to go wherever the job is. And so we've had a number of people join, commit, go. Uh, and so that has been, that has been the challenge. Uh, a second challenge for us has been, I, I would say, surprising hardness in the, the soil of our city's hearts. And it, it presents itself as a very spiritual city. Uh, and that comes with unique challenges. Uh, very unlike Cape Town, where I, I used to live before moving to Durban. And uh, we've just found it hard to gain ground. We found it hard to get people to commit to Jesus rather than Nguru Guru and whatever the kind of spirituality they come with them. There's a, a firmness in being rooted in the gospel that uh, it takes guys a month or two to figure out that we're serious about Jesus and then they're like, oh, you're serious about Jesus, like following him. And, and so we found it hard to, to really grow, to be honest. We found it hard to gain ground in people's lives. Um, but I want to echo what Rob said. The, the hardest thing, the, the most bruising battle is the, the battle for emotional health. Uh, and i got to honor my wife, who has just not here with me this, this week, but just uh, has held me up. Uh, I want to honor my, my elders, my elder brothers, who've just held me up. I want to honor my, my brothers in the movements who have just held me up and lamented and mourned and weeped and grieved and then pointed me back to the source of all of my hope, which is not based in my city and it's not based in the heart of people and it's not even based in our friendships. It's, it's based in one person. 
and uh, that the, the battle is bruising for everyone. Uh, it's most bruising under the, the heat of, of church planting. Um, so apart from the Bible times that you're describing, that you're living in floods and whatever else, <laughs> what, what is a joy that you have <laughs> in the midst of church planting? Yeah, so our Exodus plagues aside, uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I think, uh, so the first one always has to be seeing people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And uh, we, uh, let me share one quick story. We have a, a guy in our group called Tabiso who uh, uh, watched a 30-second clip on TikTok, uh, which was a preacher telling him that he must repent. And uh, this person who had completely bounced out of church got on his knees and realized he needed to go to Jesus and came to Wreck Road and uh, has given his life to the Lord and uh, is committed, a member of our church, after a bit of initial flakiness, uh, committed himself in. He's grown so much, and now he's actually beginning to sit with our leadership team uh, in leadership place. And so that those, those are testimonies we hold so dear uh, in these times. I think, uh, I think also community. Uh, there's a friend of mine uh, where I used to work in the school that I was in called Snellantla, and she uh, has a story of being in church and then bouncing out as a teenager and uh, always felt like Christianity was a just too high a bar for her. And uh, relationship with myself and my wife, Nokwazi, was enough to kind of get the door open to the possibility of Christianity, but it was only when she met a gospel community of Christians who weren't just weird who were just like normal people, who, who just like loved Jesus, did life, you know, cared for their families, worked honorably, and uh, seeing her come back into the, into the flock and seeing her come back into community with people has, has been a real joy. Um, I'll leave it there, I think. Yeah. Cool. I mean, you forgot a joy, by the way. You guys have just had your first baby. So please pray for Tom. He's not sleeping much. <laughs> Over to Simon. <laughs> That's where you're from, bro. Cool. Good after, good evening, everyone. My name's Simon. Uh, we planted God First Josie East on, in October last year. Uh, we based just east of the Johannesburg CBD. So if you're at Ellis Park, uh, the mighty Ellis Park, and you walk about 500 meters uh, out of the city, uh, that's where we based. So we, we the most closest definitely going to visit now because you gave us the exact directions. Like. So, so it's the closest place, the closest city, the closest neighborhood you can be with a little garden and a front fence uh, where you're not, you're not staying in an apartment block. So we're on the edge of the CBD. So awesome. So much like the rest of the guys in, in informing guys, what's been your heat and what's been your one joy? Guys, I had to write uh, notes down. Just because um, I can talk. I don't know if people guys noticed. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go through things quite quickly. And I want to invite you, if you're interested, to hear the full story. There's going to be beers tonight in the bar. We can hang out and I can share more. Okay, so just some, some of the challenges it's been. Come, guys, give me an opportunity. So I think some of the challenges has been uh, I was planted out from God First Parks. And when you're used to having a big team and people to do stuff, you can delegate tasks. 
can this printing get done? Can we do creative for this? Blah, blah, blah. When you plant, you're like flying solo, and you learn to sweep, do dishes, pay COJ, clean the windows, preach, pastor, everything. So it gets very lonely. Um, so I think that has been a big uh, challenge for me. Another challenge which we have had, it's very it was very difficult for me to call people uh, to a hard context. And over the last two years, I've had amazing support, prayer, love, kindness from many people in this room and many people outside of this room. Um, and I've felt the love deeply, but it usually ends with a high five and say, go smash it, bro. <laughs> because it's tough. Uh, I think that has been a challenge uh, for us. Uh, and also, just my own capacity around where do I give time to and what do I give time to, uh, that's been a challenge. Uh, and the last one, I just said uh, leadership, right? Our heart is to grow leaders from our community, uh, to see people who know, know people, know the hood, uh, know the language. Kn they're known already, but growing them, uh, it's a long road. So that's been some of the challenges. Okay, some celebrations, guys. Planting a church is the best thing you'll ever do with your life. And if we are going to be a movement that plants and strengthens churches, this leadership room can't be looking outside this, these four walls who's going to be planting our churches. It's going to be coming from people that are sitting here today. Okay. Being, uh, do, I would never want to do anything else uh, with my life. It's been a, a tough, the toughest season I've ever experienced, but it's been the most fruitful season. I, God is beyond kind and gracious and epic. I mean, when I hear Tom and uh, Rob speak, they sound a lot more godly than me, but I promise you, I do love Jesus. <laughs> the fruit, the fruit we've seen in our church has been unreal. Every single week, people come, new people that I don't even know, uh, people are hearing the gospel, people are giving their lives, uh, people are getting baptized, people are getting added as members. Like, it's been absolutely insane, and it's just so good. Feel like you, you're walking where God has called you to walk. Go plant a church. Thank you. All three of you, keep going, brothers. We love you guys. Um, high five. High five. <laughs> Can the other guys come on up quickly, please? Everyone is getting hungry, and uh, Simon, and Tom, and uh, Sela, and who is the fourth person up here? Rob, you are actually at the back of the food crew, because you all spoke too long. Come on up if you are planting, or with someone planting in the next short while. So we've got Andrew representing Mitch and Amber. Um, we've got Miura in Madagascar, Sia in the Eastern Cape, and Solanga in the Western Cape, and Paul in the UK. There we go. So guys, I'm sorry, those oaks have taken all our time, but we want to pray for you oaks, because they high five, good luck, God bless. We want to invest in what God's doing here. Miura, you first.
What do you want to do in the time we have? Give us where you're going, what you can pray for, and then I'm going to talk. Awesome. All right, so quite a surprise for us going to the UK, not something that was on our radar particularly. Um, a year ago, listening to a guy called Phil Moore with a group of students, um, he was preaching on the Reformation and speaking about how missionaries had been sent out from Europe into Africa, and he just threw this question out at the end, um, when are you coming back? When is Africa sending missionaries back into Europe, back into the UK? And the spirit just gripped my heart. I just began weeping. It was awkward sitting with all my students. Went back and jumped in bed that evening, and I sleep like the dead. And that night, I couldn't sleep. I just had the Holy Spirit just pounding this one phrase in my heart. Do you trust me with your children? Do you trust me with your children? We have five kids, age 15 down to five. I thought we'd be in the UK when they were big. We are nervous, but we are excited. And it took me a little while to get back to what, you know, I've preached it, but to get to the point where we said, yes, Lord, we do. We know you're bigger. We know you're a better father than we could ever be. And that started something of a journey um, and culminating in a point where we are certain we've heard God to hand over what we have in Stellenbosch. We've been leading for nine years. So Gareth and Nadine are coming to lead. What a wonderful transition to hand over to them. Um, great to them to take it. And we're not sure where we're going yet. So we know we're going into the UK. We've been praying. God's not skywritten anything for us. If any of you have prophetic words, I'm, I'm here. I'm at dinner. Come find us. We'd love to hear. But actually just feeling really peaceful. Like what the guys are sharing already, it seems like God is far more interested in your own transformation and what he's doing in you than he is in giving you your felt needs, which are where should we go and what should we do. Um, but we have a hard deadline, uh, December, January, we're over there, and we're going to just trust Jesus for what that looks like. The wisdom from the guys there is that we should go into the marketplace for a season, learn context, it's very different, and so we'll probably do that for two to three years, go in marketplace, and then hopefully plant post that, but we kind of not so sure. We're just going to see what Jesus does, and we'll follow as we can. Thanks, Nyava. Before we move on, one prayer point, which Damon's going to put on the screen for us, because we're going to pray. Personal, we'd love, I'd love you just to pray for that. Our family, is it's a huge transition, um, and just that thing of, Lord, would you look after them? Would you care for them? And the other one, of, I'm going to steal one more, is just gospel fruitfulness. We, we must see, it, it must be different. It can't be an immigration. It must be God doing something. He's taking us there for a reason. We want to know why we want to do it. Good evening, everyone. I, I, for, I forgot the points. So I will quickly swing it. <laughs> My name is Siabulela Zalabe. I'm from East London. I, <laughs> I, I came here through Arno and Greg. I've known Greg for almost 10 years now, I think, 2013. Um, originally from Port Elizabeth, Kwazakele Township. So when my theological uh, uh, persuasion changed from Pentecostal to more reformed or uh, evangelical conservative, and uh, then through friends, I got to know Greg. And we basically shared a lot uh, when it comes to the gospel and theology. And I shared with him, at that time I was a member at Trinity Baptist Church in the central of Gabeja. Shared with him a desire to go back to my township because at that time we did not have any healthy church. There are true churches, but I, there is no healthy church that I know of. Kwazakele is one of the biggest townships in Gabeja. And uh, he said, dude, I would like to partner with you as CG. And then I went to study at the Baptist College. Fast forward 10 years later, came back to him. Again, at the moment, I'm 
pastoring a church in, uh, in Cambridge, in East London. And then I spoke to him. I say, hey, that desire that I had when we spoke 10 years ago, it, it has grown, man. I really want to go back home and plant a church. Is it any possibility that CG could, could partner with me? And he was really encouraging. And he said, dude, let's see what God can do. Let's have conversations. Let's build this, this relationship. And I'll also chat with Advance and see how they can partner with him to partner with me. And that's why I'm here. And I want to mention a couple of things uh, about Kabeha. I mentioned, number one, Kwazakele, no healthy church that I know of. Secondly, I am the indigenous planter in the area, language, culture. I know the idols of the people, the beauty of the place. Kwazakele, in 10 kilometers away from Kwazakele, there is a, um, an MU campus, Mission Vale campus. So there is an opportunity for us to reach out to students who can then uh, plug in into the work or maybe even serve. Uh, number four, the area is a needy area. Close to 50% of the people in Kwazakele are unemployed. Um, number five, with the, which is the last one, Kwazakele has the most crime state in Kwebeja, so it is a hard place. Mm. So I'm one of the people going back to proclaim the gospel to them. So please pray uh, for this possibility for me to go and plug in at CG and also for the transition to be smooth as well from where I am to where I would like to go. Thank you. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. My name is uh, Solanga. I was born in Cape Town. I was raised in Port Elizabeth. I'm a Kosa guy who has planted a uh, church in an Afrikaans community uh, that, that operates in English. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're in the heart of the Boerland. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a church plant in Wellington. It's not the kind of church plant that many people get behind. You know, uh, when you strategize about church planting, people scratch their heads when they, when they hear this kind of thing. And, uh, but I believe that um, in Christ there's no Jew or Gentile, you know. Yeah. I, uh, I happen to believe that the blood of Jesus breaks down barriers between people. His blood broke down the barrier between Jew and Gentile, that we can be one family, one family of God. Um, if we are reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, we are also then reconciled to one another. You know, I happen to believe that one day we will sit around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. People from every tribe, every language, every ethnicity, every nationality around the throne of the Lamb who bled for us. Um, and I think that if we are going to have a harmonious, thriving future of South Africa, if we're going to live in harmony together, then the church needs to do that first. Uh, we need to be ahead of the curve. Uh, we need to show the country the way. And uh, I think that it's time we uh, perhaps stop talking about it and just actually get on with doing it. Um, when we talk about church plants uh, and strategy of church plants and this kind of thing, and we plan when we do, all, we do these kinds of things, we, we, we forget that we are talking about people. Um, at the end of the day. And so I just wanted to show you a couple of these faces uh, that are in this particular church plan. I asked Damon if you could uh, please uh, just play a little video and then I'm done. So I read, uh, Amy says, first of all,
We nine weeks old. Uh, cool, Damon. Damon, can you put the photo of Amber and Mitch? Amber and Mitch can't be with us. They're Joe Burgers, but they're in Texas as we speak. They're on eighteen-month church planting residency with a small church called the Village. You may have heard it, Flower Mound, with Matt Chandler, and they they were part of ACPC. Got this opportunity, felt they needed to go. They're coming back in November this year to be part of ours and Rob's churches. The two come. We're not sure which or where. Um, and then in April 2025, they're planning to launch into Edenvale. They're, they're currently, the prayer request is they're raising support, a five-year plan for support, uh, uh, tiered down over the next, and they're, they're going to U.S. churches to plant an African, uh, advanced church in English, not Afrikaans. But uh, please pray for them. It's really exciting. So. Yes. <coughs> Good evening, everyone. Um, <laughs> My name is Mura. I'm from Madagascar and uh, from the church called Tana City. Uh, our pastor is the drummer this morning. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, next year, uh, I, and he is Nyavu. Uh, he's a friend of me since uh, I was uh, a kid. But uh, we come to, to speak about translation and uh, you'll translate for me. I might have a difficulty to explain or to express. Uh, yeah, uh, we will plant a church on January next year uh, in Nansirabe. Hmm? Yeah, in English. <laughs> <laughs> you want to translate? No, 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 no. Yeah, in Nansirabe, uh, Nansirabe is uh, 150 kilometers of Tutana to our church now. And uh, we will uh, move to this uh, city. Uh, we will plant a church there. 
Uh, and it's also my hometown. And um, uh, I have many friends, many family there. And uh, I will plant a church. Okay, uh, let's go for the Malagasy. <laughs> 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 yeah. Ni Malagasy ulla. Okay. Malagasy ulla ulla religious. Tifi vafana pe. Yeah, Malagasy people are religious. They love religion. They just like going to the church. They don't really believe, but they just like going to the church as religious people. Yeah, uh, the first prayer topic would be courage and courage. When I when I keep us one, nama nama kansa tia isaifa mana na nama na mana um groupi mano karazana fiona na isakni isambula na na numkatam fula na avrila ruam fula na September meti indu isambula. For us and my family, but also for the core teams, because now we are having a core teams. That meet every month since April, and uh, hopefully on September we will meet twice a month. And the sina omfiangguna na misi omtanasiti ko omzoa sina filasana makaskenwe izantianuana si anampi omfanangana na fiangguna na the courage fangatambava ka wamse courage. And in our church now in Tana City, we are all always announced to people. To those who wants to join us, or to serve us, or to help us, and please pray for those people who are considering joining us as well. The Nimanaraka, if I have one fianguna na sa itsangana, but ina we utarapaza fana wamtana na nansira pia si atawe sa ananafnuna lalan fianguna na fatstakan ni fumba fano malakaswe man mitra pianguna na futsan. And please pray for the new church that will be planted, uh, that it will go deep in, in faith, uh, not just for people to, not just another church, like another religion, for people to, to, to choose between the other churches, but to really have a, a deep faith for the new church. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing. So what we're going to do, is uh, there's people who want to pray for people in Wellington, for Ansira Bay. There's uh, prayer needs for uh, Sia, Abaya, and who have I forgotten? Oh, the UK. But what we're going to do is we're going to dedicate the prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. So if you really wanted to pray for these guys, prayer meeting at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning, because otherwise we're going to do a rush job. We need to leave here so that this hall can be reset for later this evening after supper. So please take everything of yours with you. No keeping seats. We are rearranging this hall for what's happening after supper, okay? But please come and pray tomorrow morning because we want God to do amazing things through these churches. And uh, I hope that the guys that went before inspired the guys that are about to start. The other thing I needed to tell you, hold on before you go, there is no dress code, dress up code tonight, but if you brought your Ugandan traditional outfit with you all the way, wear it, 
We'd love to see you in it, but there's no compulsory dress up of uh, what you need to wear tonight. But you need to be back here at 7.30, and supper is happening now. Um, Simon and, and Rob and those guys will offer you drinks while you get your food. Please take everything with you. Thanks for a great day. Oh, wait. Bring pens. Okay, everybody, yes. Please bring your pens when you come to the, through the doors. Okay, bring your pens. Bring glasses for people that can't see. Okay, and get ready to dance. Jokes. Can I have five guys that are willing to help us just offload some things, please?